Hi, everybody. This is Ray Otis, and you are listening to Plunder Notes. <laughs> this was a conversation that Frank T. of Frank's Liner Notes and I had yesterday afternoon. And I know you should never start anything with an apology, but let's face it, I was raised in the upper Midwest, uh, kind of the northern half of Indiana. Uh, it's an area founded by uh, primarily by Pennsylvania Dutch uh, people. And my folks and I, we have this kind of stoic farmer philosophy bred into us. And I, I can't not apologize for stuff. So here I am apologizing, I think, for being a Midwesterner who apologizes for things. But there are a couple, uh, before I get into this conversation with Frank, there's a couple things I want to set up. One, uh, for whatever reason, Frank and I are having a conversation by AnchorCast phone, and Frank sounds great. He was in a car with the door cracked because it was super hot outside. Uh, he lives in Arizona. And I was in a car, but I sound like, like I'm at the bottom of a tin can. So there you go. I, I don't know what happened, but that's what it is. And um, I was a little punchy too, so I got, I'm kind of all over the place. I don't feel like I was a good guest and, and wasn't always following Frank's lead. But uh, I think we said some interesting things. Uh, and in fact, I just listened to Chicken Spike, which is the Omega 3D Chicken podcast and Spike Pit combined. So there's a lot of us doing these kind of crossover issues. And I feel like we were on a similar thread in some ways. Uh, we're talking about some of the same things. So you might want to go listen to that one, too. I thought it was fantastic, actually. A really good crossover podcast. Uh, so let's see. Is there anything else I need to apologize for? Sure. Um Angus and JJ, if you're listening to this, and if I sound like I'm complaining about our 5e game, that's that's not true. I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining about it. So hope, I hope I didn't say anything that was uh, offensive. I'm loving that game, and I'm loving playing with you guys. So um, hmm, I think that's it. I think that's all I have to apologize for. I've got it all off my chest. It's a little rambly, and it's a and it's you know just kind of a fun conversation. Um, it's long. It's maybe 45 minutes. The front half we talk about gaming with kids. And uh, the system you want to play versus the system you sort of have to play or are playing um, and how you work out that discrepancy. And then on the back half, we talk a little bit about uh, Kirby's Kids, which is a podcast I do with Angus. Uh, and we talk about graphic novels just from a fan standpoint. And I talk about uh, how I've taken to graphic novels now as another source of inspiration for learning story structure and things that I can use at the table. So there you go. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, Frank. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I haven't heard your voice in a while. What's been going on? Oh, man, it's been like the perfect storm, not just a microburst. You know, first first off, there was vacations to be had, so that was a little bit of fun. But then along with vacations came uh, what most people commonly refer to as con crud, but I'll call it vacation crud. Uh, and yeah. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, that took weeks. And then even after everybody was feeling good, I just felt like I don't know if I'm going to make it through a podcast without hacking up a lung so <laughs> <laughs> I get you so, I get you yeah. it's, it's allergy season here in San Diego we've got the Santa Ana winds coming in and I've not been sleeping well change of seasons whatever you know it's been a, it's been rough things like that happen yeah so you know and then I, I've got a lot of analysis paralysis because I want to I, I always want to produce the perfect mm -hmm 
uh, show, and yeah. I know I know that's not that's not likely. In fact, my my design was I was just going to do the Tim Shorts thing and, and call in, you know, from my on my drive because that's when I do most of my best thinking, of course. Yeah. But when I but when I heard it, I was like, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> well, and and because you can't record in the shower, right? Exactly. Well, my phone is waterproof. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so last time you were recording was almost a month ago, and you were talking about uh, rules light systems. Have you had any revelations since then? You know, I, I really liked a lot of the feedback that I got on the rules light systems. And I mean, a lot of it is just very common sense, right? The, the, the best feedback was things like... Uh, quickness to roll up characters and not having you know the u.s tax code sitting on your table and you know just just you know not having to worry about a lot of these sort of extraneous things that tend to take away from the game and you know i'm a big fan of all of that stuff you know um what what are your thoughts on rules rules like well you know i don't think it's about one kind of philosophy or another i don't think it's about osr or story games or all that i think it's about just rules getting out of the way so that you can you know play a play a role-playing game and um have kind of a fluid event at the table right yeah i I totally agree with you there i I don't think that it's uh i I think it's and and this i this i mean kind of talking about the the concept of whether it's osr or not I think it's really uh, more a style choice, right? It, mm-hmm. It's um, it, it, it. I don't think that it's married to to one uh, one type of game versus another. I think it it really does come down to style. I, I'm not opposed to crunch. I think I've said that before. That I think that there are times when that can be fun, but I think as I get older, I have less and less time for prep and I have less and less time. I mean, even just getting to the table, my primary gaming group are my kids who are six, seven and or six, eight, nine. Um, And, (laughs) you know, and, you know, it's not like we plan a day and go, okay, we're going to play on this day. And then I get everything ready. No, it's, we've got five minutes. Hey, do you want to play a game of D and D, you know? And so then we, we, we just, you know, we have to get to the table quick because we don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah. I can sympathize. My kids are now 15 and 19, but not too long ago, I was in your same spot. You know, my kids were five and nine, you know, 10 years ago. And you, you just had to, they wanted to play all the time. Like you get them interested in role-playing games, which is great. That was the whole goal, right? To get them right. interested in role-playing games. And then all of a sudden they're this voracious um, pool of piranha that want to role-play all the time. And you're like, how do I, you know, I can't keep up. <laughs> like They want to play every night. And, um, you know, you want something fast and loose. And, you know, I, I had some great moments playing with my kids. You, you've got, you've got three, you've got three children. What were their ages again? Oh, I've got more than three. So um, oh. yeah, a little, just a little backstory on that. So I've, I've been playing, well, I've been playing since eight, like the early eighties, 80, 81. Uh-huh. But um, I, I kind of, once I went, once I went to school, uh, college, that is, I, you know, a lot of that just fell away. And then when my, mm-hmm. I've got two, I've got three adult children. So I've got a 20, uh, 21 year old, a 20, 
three-year-old and a 29-year-old. Right. And so one day I came home from work with some books uh, about, uh, I don't know, seven years ago, maybe now it's, I've lost track. And, um, my now 25 year old who was whatever you do the math, <laughs> then <laughs> said, Hey, you've been carrying those books around every time we moved. When are we going to play? And I was like, you know, there were angels singing in the background at that point. Right. Um, and by that time, the whole RPG world had the, the, the landscape had changed so much. Yes. Uh, that was, uh, you know, just a, as D and D next was going to be, you know, coming on the scene. And, mm. you know, I went to, I think I bought a, uh, just to see what it was all about. I think I bought a Pathfinder beginner box and, oh I, start, my God. Yeah. Yeah. and I started into it and, and, you know, and I'm looking at it and I'm going, what is this role? Like ascending armor class. I, I was very confused. <laughs> Well, you know, that, that Pathfinder be beginner box was, it was great in one sense because it was super full of stuff, right? It was chock full of oh, yeah. gaming goodness, but it was also, like you mentioned before, it's the, you know, it's the tax code sitting on your dining room table. Um, if, I don't know if your kids were into uh, Gravity Falls, the the cartoon. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, they had a and d episode and they, they said, um, I think the girl character in that said, what is this, homework, the game? And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, i i'm with you i understand that you know and i think that's is what's funny about this is that advice from um you know experienced gms is all relative right like there are these gms out there myself included that give advice to people that say oh here's how you have a a good game um it's relative if you've got a five and nine year old at your table good luck with <laughs> with the advice that works oh, yeah. for you know, 20 year olds. So you have to kind of morph your whole life. Right. And you have to, you have to be agile and, um, you know, fluid and, and ready to game. You have to be ready for whatever your kids are hungry for in terms of gaming. If you're going to make lifelong gamers out of them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, and I, I mean, at the time I was, uh, my now 11 year old. So I've also got an 11 year old in the mix too mm -hmm. that, I, that I didn't, I failed to mention but um he doesn't play as often anymore but um he he at the time uh was about four when I picked up that beginner box and it was real simple because all he wanted to do was pull monsters out of the box and put them in a room and say okay I want to fight this guy you know so it, it became <laughs> right. you know uh more like I don't, uh, you know, it, I don't know. It was, it was just, a, it was a, you know, here's the monster. I'm going to fight this guy. Okay. Yeah. Now I want to fight this guy. Now I want to fight this guy. And so, yeah. I mean, in terms of learning how to play, that was a great sort of setup for him. It was also good because yes. I didn't have to know very many rules. All I had to do was know combat rules. And, and those are fairly easy in, in most cases. Yeah. Um, but it was it was soon after that that I started really looking at you know how how does this stuff get lighter and and I started redesigning my own stuff to be you know like from from that and then then slowly started learning oh well there's already people that are doing this you know you had games like mm -hmm. Swords and Wizardry White Box and 
you know, and, and a lot of the, that sort of uh, OSR stuff, if you want, you know, just we're going to yeah. coin that. Well, I, I'm, I'm kind of planning a podcast um, in the future called Love the One You're With, which is, a, you know, an old Stephen Stills yeah. song. <laughs> Right. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's this kind of thing where like, there's always the game that you want to be playing. And then there's the game that you have the opportunity to play and your group, your group isn't always in sync with where you are personally. So, and your group, in this case, we're talking about kids. So, it, you know, I have, um, I taught my kids dungeon world and they were super excited about that. And they had great fun with dungeon world for a while. And to the point where they were running it without me and I'm sitting by the wayside and I'm listening to them and it's not about combat at all. They had a whole adventure about paladins arguing over um, the right course for this village, um, altruistically speaking, like <laughs> what philosophy this, this uh, village that they've happened upon should adhere to. <laughs> and it was, it was strange, you know, listening to it from uh, off, off the side. And then the next day, my son tells me, hey, hey, me and my friends want to play 5e. Will you run it for us tomorrow night? And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, never, you never say no, right. right? You just you just get ready and run it. Um, and it's, I don't know if there's any better training for a GM than having a kid because they're just constantly shifting on you. And you have to be, you have to be there for them, right? Whatever game they want to play at the time, you have to be ready to play. Yeah, or you just don't, you don't get that opportunity. You're right. I mean, it's just like a teachable, yeah. it's like teachable moment, moments. You've got to be ready for them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, let, that's a great, uh, that, that brings up an, an, an interesting uh, question too, is so playing with kids who've never played before is, I mean, that's the easiest thing because, you know, at my table, I just say, okay, roll a D4 tell me what you get, you know, yeah. or I may tell them what the target number is and, you know, roll a D4, you've got to get a, a, a better than a three or, or, you know, roll a D6. Mm -hmm. um, but what do you do when it's a group of hardened <laughs> players who say, I, right? I want to play 5e <laughs> and you've got to convince yeah. them that, oh, uh, I need something lighter than 5e because, man, we are not going to get through this and I don't have that many hours in a week to prep. You know, um, all right, so two things on that because you, you're speaking to my heart here. Uh, when I moved to San Diego, my kids were five and nine. And I, that was when I started them on role-playing and I invented a system based off of uh, Zach. I want to say Zach Arnston's game. Um, well, it doesn't matter, but I, I invented a Pokemon system for them because they were into Pokemon cards. And I, you know, I had a whole uh, dice system that I built around that. And I even, I remember keeping a map on an Excel spreadsheet and it was all my game, right? Like I could just kind of enforce whatever rules I wanted on them. And we had a great time. We had, a, we had an amazing time. Um, in fact, I remember, well, this maybe isn't the best time, but I'm going to, I'm going to fess up one night. Uh, I don't know if you know Pokemon, but um, <laughs> not, not my thing, but yeah, it was theirs. Well. Right. And uh, there's this, there's this one character. Um, it's a small round pink guy. I don't remember his name, but uh, he has this microphone and he puts everybody to sleep. And when they, if they fall asleep, he gets mad because he's been singing and they're supposed to listen to him. So he takes a Sharpie marker and he draws on their forehead. And so I had this, uh, I had this, you know, five-year-old in front of me and I said, okay, close your eyes. And I took a, keep in mind, this is a washable Crayola okay. marker. So it's not really doing any damage. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I drew on his forehead and you would have thought that I 
had i mean it was a total misstep as a gm he's bawling in front of me he's crying because i've invaded his you know kind of privacy or i don't know what it is but like it was horrible <laughs> right but, but but we had a great time with that game um aside from that moment and then you know like you said three or four years later all of a sudden i've got all these um hardened murder hobos sitting around my house going hey, run a game for 5e for us. Uh, you know, we want to kill some kobolds and grab some treasure. And I'm like, holy crap, what, what happened? In between, in between my innocent little children who cried when I r- wrote on their, you know, foreheads with a washable marker and these guys who want to play 5e and have optimized characters and all that crap. Um, yeah, but it, you know what? I love every minute of it. It was, it was fun, right? Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> it sounds like it was. <laughs> you know it was but it was like oh my god it's so hard to keep up it's so hard to keep up and you and you said this but you know you can't really as a dad you kind of understand this like you can't ever really say i'm not ready to run a game yeah that's true you know and and you know i i think i spend more time at this stage with my younger kids uh trying to give, convince them to try other systems than the one that they've sort of, I, I've created this sort of very simplified savage world system. And every time I say, Hey, you want to play a game there? The first thing they say is, is it, is it savage worlds? And, you know, and, and the bottom line is if it doesn't have bennies and exploding dice, they're, they're, they're not interested. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and so that's that. You know, I'm I'm sure Shane Hensley is happy to hear that, but <laughs> but right. at the same time, I, I would like to. You know, I want to introduce them to other games, and fortunately, at this wow. point in time, being that you know six is is the youngest, and and even my my eight and ten year old have such short attention spans, or nine and ten year old have such short short attention spans uh you know it's got to be simple or nothing so so you know that that's kind of led me down this path of sort of well how do i hack 5e not because i really want to play 5e but because i want to introduce them to a different type of game you know and i hear a lot i mean i have to admit a lot of it is is has been driven by colin talking about his 5e game and i'm going well maybe Look, maybe I need to look at this again. Of course, I, I look at it and I go, "Wow, this is just a lot of stuff." And I, I yeah. you know, but maybe I can tear it apart and something else. <laughs> and I'm finding, you know, gonna... I yeah, I hear you, I hear you, but it's it's kind of like you just have to. In the end, all system matters. I'm I'm a big believer in the whole system matters idea. You know that every system has a kind of flavor or tone or play style that comes with it yeah. but in the end you're all you're, you're aiming at the same thing right which is a fun creative shared fiction experience at the table and you kind of have to settle on like i'm playing 5e right now i'm playing 5e with a group um every monday night and i don't care you know honestly 5e isn't my system of choice but i'm playing every monday right. night and that's all I care about. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I care about. We we were playing DCC before. We played Dungeon World. We played uh, my own game, Goblin Town. We played all kinds of different games. But 
all it cares, all that, all that I care about is getting together with my friends on Monday night. And playing yeah. I've, 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 I've done that too. You know, when I, when I had time to game with a regular group, I, I you know, I, I'll play whatever they want to play just because it, 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 mm-hmm. it's a game, you know, I mean, there are probably yeah. games that I would pro that I would bail out on if it was just a bear for, you know, forever. Because there are certain games that are just not going to work in a campaign stock. I, right. I might play for Pony Finder once, but I don't think I'm. I'm not going to do a campaign of Pony Finder. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I was in a so Monday night. I was in a five E game this week Monday night, and I'm playing this. Um, I'm playing a goblin rogue um, arcane trickster, right? So he's got all these levels of things that he can do and. In combat, my optimal move is kind of based on a five-foot grid. But we're not playing on a grid. We're playing theater of the mind. And so every time I attack, my optimal thing to do is to use my bonus action to disengage and step out of range so that when my opponent tries to attack me again, I can use a reaction to attack him first. And I just got kind of tired of doing it. I was like, I was like, look, this isn't. I mean, I'm, we're playing a board game. We're playing a theater of the mind, but yeah. some, it was a discrepancy, right? Some people at the table were wanting to play a five-foot square gridded battle mat board game, and other people at the table were playing theater of the mind. And I, and I just decided to kind of – I said, look, I'm just going to play a happy medium here because in the end, I just want to play – I just want to role play. I just want to play a game. <laughs> it's not optimal for me, but right. yeah. hey. You know, you have to settle, right? I agree. I totally agree. You know, I've yeah. you know, I've been yeah. there, and um, and it's you know, it, it it can be challenging, and I think uh, that may be another form of challenge, right? We we off off uh, off the air, we've talked a little bit about the idea of challenging uh, players, and you know, you you had said something that really resonated, which was you know, setting up the players to you know that that they don't necessarily need to make a role i forget how you put it exactly but but it was not they don't need to necessarily make a role for everything but when they do it's 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 a crucial thing it 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 means something yeah and um and i think when no matter what the system they're playing you, you can adopt that now, as a player, you don't necessarily get a lot of that choice, but certainly as a GM, you you always get that choice, no matter what the system is. Uh, fortunately mm-hmm. for me, I'm usually the GM and not the player. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and when I'm yeah. not the GM for my other adult group, you know, the GM is is one that I don't have to worry about. You know, if we're playing, unless we're playing a crunchy game, which we're not usually playing, we we generally like the same games in fact right now his thing is icrpg and so um i don't usually have to worry about about that that all that other baggage that comes along with you know the tactile stuff because i am not a tactician Mm -hmm. i am definitely not a tactician i would much rather role play something out and be that you know that quirky guy that that does the oddball things you know i'd rather have low scores than high scores at least somewhere on my character sheet. It doesn't matter to me. I, I'm with you. Like h- high scores, low scores. I'm almost uncomfortable with high yeah. scores. Right? Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I want to be just a dude. I want to have a character concept and play that persona 
And I don't want to be somebody that's artificially good at everything. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. So bringing, so, it, bringing that yeah. back, um, do you think rules light helps facilitate something like that? I mean, uh, well, I think it does. Because, we talk about light yeah, in because, the sense of, I mean, a lot of people have said, well, rules light tends to, you know, be a deadlier game and rules light facilitating the, the faster generation of characters because it's, I think Tim Schwartz had said that, um, you know, and I, and I agree with that. I agree that, you know, the faster creation of of characters makes sense in a deadlier game you know it's it's beyond um understanding how deadly a game like RuneQuest is but you know character generation could take forever yeah well there's an investment principle so if it takes a long time it's not really about the time you spend on it it's just that when you spend a lot of time on something you feel invested in it so, you know, the more you spend time building a character and learning how to play that character and diving deep into the rules, you know. So, for instance, I, I'm just going to give you an, a, an actual example. My goblin rogue in 5e, he has, I don't know, four or five different actions that he can take as a bonus action. He can dual wield a weapon. He can dodge. He can disengage. He can hide. Right. Those, that's four. I think there's one other. But, you know, and so I have to know each one of those things are a subset of rules, yeah. right? So, and I have to know all of those to kind of optimize my play as that character. So the deeper the character, the more invested you are in that character, the more, sorry, the deeper the rule system, the more invested you are in that character. And the more it kind of hurts um, when your character dies because you've spent time to master that, you know, deep rule set. And then you have to kind of, you know, window out and then you want to build something else like a ranger or whatever. And all that rules knowledge goes away and you have to build a new, new set of rules knowledge. Whereas rules light system says, hey, you know, build something, go for it, you know, play that character, play your concept. Don't worry about the rules. Just tell me what you're doing and we'll figure it out in the roles and we'll have a good time. You know, it, it's quick in, quick out. Um, I, I, I personally prefer that. You know, not everybody does, but I personally prefer that. You know, that that brings that 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 makes me think that uh, the general perception, I think, in, in the public view is that a rules light system is uh, to play as a right. you know, game like 5e or Pathfinder. And I think you may have touched on something there in the fact that for the very same reason that a four page rule book you know, I don't have to invest a lot of time in, in learning that. Therefore it's almost disposable, you know? Mm. So, so maybe, I, you know, maybe that leads to this perception that, well, rules light isn't worth playing because, you yeah. know, it's just, it's just disposable, you know, whereas you give somebody this perception of value through this, you know, thick book, and, um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I wonder if uh, the same concept follows through to um, adventures as well. And, and you know, yeah. uh, if I can get a one page adventure and I can get as much time at the table out of that one page adventure as I could out of a 44 page adventure, it, it should have the same value. But I'm willing to bet that most people would not see the value uh, the mm -hmm. same. That's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. That's probably true. And it, oddly enough, I'm going to 
maybe I'm going to window out here, but it's almost like, uh, you know, the current zeitgeist of uh, educational, higher education is, you know, STEM over humanities kind of thing. And there's this idea that um, there's the kind of engineering mindset, which is there's the rule, there's rules for everything, right? right? You know, there's how the, you know, the simulation, how the system operates and deep rules, knowledge is valued. Okay. That's one mindset and it's not wrong. It's not right. It's just one mindset. And then there's another mindset that says like, you know, Hey, let's go with a minimal set of rules and we're going to use fictional positioning and uh, the way, the way we set up the imaginary, you know, shared fiction to kind of adjudicate things. And that's another mindset. And it's not right or wrong either. Um, but between those two, sometimes you get a lot of friction. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I, and I, I agree with you. I like, I don't think, uh, well, for me, I, so I, I build um, 20 to 24 page, maybe 32 page at the most zines for Plundergrounds for Dungeon World. And I charge $2 for them. But I probably spend Oh goodness. I don't know. A hundred hours on each yeah. one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I put a lot of time into each one of those. <laughs> and, and I think that some people would, would look at them as going, well, you know, it's just 24 pages. Why is that compared to the D and D, you know, player's handbook or the DMG or whatever. And I, that's fine. I don't care. I mean, I'm not in it for the money, but it's, um, but I will tell you that like there's as much thought and, you know, structure and investment in that, for me in that zine as there is for other people in their, you know, 5e characters or whatever. And I can understand that because a lot of it is just yeah. perception. A lot of it is yeah. perception and that's okay. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I just say that because I do understand that. Um, right. Now, before I forget, because we're going to run out of time and I'm going to forget, and I wanted okay. to talk sure. a little bit about this. You've mentioned it on, on, on Plundergrounds before, but, I'm really getting into this Kirby's kids podcast that oh. you're doing. I oh, mean, sure. it, yeah. Yeah. it totally resonates with me because in a way, you know, just like gaming, you know, when I stopped gaming in 1990 or whatever it was, I also stopped reading comics. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot of this stuff. Most of the stuff, like the, the two graphic novels that you've discussed, I, I, I didn't know anything about them. I never heard mm -hmm. of them before. So I, I've, that's really an interesting project that you guys have going on there. What, what was, what started that? Well, so Angus, my friend Angus, he's, um, he's more into comics than I am. And I, I, I'm much like you. So I read comics as a kid, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. I read a lot of comics. I inherited a trunk from my uncles. I had uncle Scrooge comics. I had Turok son of stone. I had some fantastic four, I had some Western comics, you know, there was a lot of different things in there. Um, and I was into that medium, you know, I understood like kind of following the visual panels and reading all that. And I was kind of really into it. I can remember this was in the age before seatbelts. My parents, we'd go to Minnesota every year to go fishing for vacation. And I can remember laying on the footwells and reading comics while my brother would live, lay across the back seat reading comics all the way up to Minnesota. <laughs> wow. And, uh, yeah, right. I mean, right. And so maybe not safe, but that's the way that's the way it was. Yeah, so then, yeah. No, um, we, you know, yeah, you get this. junior high, high school or whatever. There's girls. I had wrestling. I had golf. I had different things that I was, you know, sports that I was into, um, cars, whatever, uh, college. You know, I kind of got out of uh, role playing. And at the same time, I kind of got out of comics. And 
recently I've tried to read graphic novels, comics, whatever you want to call them. And I just was really struggling. And I talked to my friend Angus, who's more into it. And I said, look, you tell me what's, what's some of the good stuff. You, you, give me some of the good stuff. Give me a recommended reading list. And I'm going to get back into it because I really want to understand the story structure that's going on in these comics, because I feel like I'm missing something. Like I'm a heavy book reader. I'm a heavy audiobook reader. And those are, those are great story structures for me, and I can learn a lot from them. But I'm not learning from you know, video games, which my kids play, and I'm not learning from comics, which is something that Bill understands, uh, Bill Angus um, understands that I don't. And so we formed a little book club called Kirby's Kids, and uh, month by month, we pick a different uh, seminal work in comics, and we read that. So the first one was Sandman, and, Sandman, and then we read... Um, Oh, oh uh, Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom, Triumph and Torment. And then we read uh, Batman, The Long Halloween. And next up is Watchmen, which I've actually read. That's the first one that I've read before. And then we are going to read Klaus for December. And then we're going to go on from there. I think Swamp Thing might be the next one. But it's been, uh, you know, what's amazing to me because the first month I spent reading these graphic novels it was, it blew my mind. It was so hard for me to get back into, uh, you know, get back into, I don't know, it's almost like working out. You know, you get back into shape to read these visual medium again, read this visual medium again. And all of a sudden I found myself learning a lot of things about story structure that I could apply to role-playing games. And so Bill and I, um, Angus and I did this, did this podcast called Kirby's Kids. And we're recording it once a month. And I think he's going to start doing some solo in-between episodes so that it comes out more like once a week. But we, we talk about the comic, the, the graphic novel, and then he always is good to bring up the question, you know, what can we learn from this story structure-wise? And um, it always tosses it into my court because I think, okay, as a GM, what can I pull from this comic that might apply to role-playing games? And it's right. and it's and it's very different than what I would learn from reading a, a piece of fiction. It's just very different. I I, I like um, that you guys you I mean it's easy to kind of pull apart the literary parts of it, but mm-hmm. because it is a visual medium, um, I really like the fact that you find the visual cues that are happening. I mean, in the uh, Doctor Doom, Doctor Strange. Uh, episode you were talking about you know the the colors going from mm-hmm. these the sort of flashback sequences and and being muted to the vibrancy of the colors in in the other sequence in in the in the regular sequences and and how um things became more larger than life when we hit into fight sequences mm-hmm. and i think um you know it i, I want to go now and read those mostly because of those little things that you're discovering about them. And I, and I, I'm like, Oh, I need, I need to see this. And again, uh, for me, of course, it's uh, all about how do I relate this back to uh, gaming, whether mm-hmm. as a player, but mostly as, as an adventure writer, as a, as a creator, how do, how can we relate that? I mean, there are a number of different, you know, two, there's two, at least two appendix N book club type things uh, one is a DCC specific and another is more just general RPG related. And they mm-hmm. always bring it back to, well, what would you do with this in game? And, mm-hmm. and you know, as, as you're going through talking about those things, I'm going, oh man, I could use that. I could use that. 
yeah. unfortunately I'm never I'm always in my car and I never have something to write with and even if I <laughs> did I'd probably cause an accident so right. I always have to go back and listen to it and go now what was that that I was looking for <laughs> you know it really is it's amazing how you can learn from different media right it, it really is so um I'll give you an example uh we, we were talking about Dr. Strange and Dr. Doom and whenever in that comic, there's very vibrant colors when you're in the present. And then when they flash back to the past, the backstory of Dr. Doom and the backstory of Dr. Strange in particular, they go to a muted palette. They go to a, a gray scale or, you know, 50 shades of gray, you know, blue kind of kind of palette. And, you know, if you're not paying attention, you don't catch that they're shifting your mood by changing those colors. Well, so then I got to thinking about the, the book, um, Cormac McCarthy's The Road. I don't know if you ever read that. Um, I've never seen the movie, but I've heard a lot about it. I'm, I'm no, not. It, it's a good familiar. book. Yeah, it's a good book. It's not. Well, so, you know, it's a post-apocalyptic fiction. And one of the driving forces of the book is it's a father and a son relationship. And they're traveling across across country and they're trying to get to the Pacific coast. And he's talking about the sea, you know, the blue sea, the crystal blue sea, the, 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 you know, all these different colors that he attributes to the sea. And when they get there, the sea is gray. You know, it's a gray day and the sea yeah. is gray. And, you know, it's like one of the things really you go, okay, like it's very bleak. The whole novel is very bleak because all the descriptions of colors are very bleached out. And you think, wow, you know, I could really trigger my players by the way I describe the environment as being, you know, colored, a color deficit, like no colors, right? And then all of a sudden shifting to high color. Um, you know, you get a sorcerer who's casting fireballs or the, you know, you, you start off with this very gray dungeon environment, gray walls, um, you know, translucent white uh, uh, spider webs and, um, you know, uh, grayish um, mucusy oozes and <laughs> things like that, that, that makes this dungeon feel very low key and uh, monochromatic and then all of a sudden you got a wizard who comes in who's wearing a bright purple robe and he casts bright orange fireballs and all that and you realize that you can use other you know you can use you can use this stuff you can use this visual stuff to kind of play into your descriptions of you know wh what you're doing at the table and it doesn't have to be really um, overt or really obvious right you can kind of throw it on the players and they'll respond to it whether they know what's going on or not yeah, I, I am. Um, I, I I like that idea, but I'm I'm a big props guy. Uh, I just mm -hmm. I ran I ran this game. Actually, I ran it twice. I ran it at a local con here in Phoenix called Crit Hit. Uh, it's a great con. I mean, if you get the chance to, I know it's, it's summertime. It's probably not optimal for anybody <laughs> to walk in Phoenix, but it is indoors and parking is real close to the hotel. Um, but if, you know, if you can get over here from San Diego, uh, during, uh, I think it's in July, it's, it's a great little con. There's a lot of local designers who game designers who are always there. Shane Hensley is, is there regularly. Um, I'm yeah, always, Shane, Savage world Shane Hensley, right? Yeah. 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 I, and I'm always like cornered by Ken St. Andre to try out some mm. new, in fact, Tunnels I, and Trolls. Yeah, he created this, this, he called it troll chess or something like that. And essentially you had to, um, he was just playing with it and he says, Oh, you want to try this? And of course I lost, you know, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, but, but, you know, I could say, Hey, I lost to Ken St. Andre. <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, let me, let me throw in a bone here because this has yeah. nothing to do with what we're talking about, but since you mentioned Shane Hensley and um, Savage worlds, let me, let me throw this out there. So I, I, I had quit. We talked about, you know, taking a break from role-playing games for our lives, you know, in the kind of the college era or whatever, yeah. you know, high, late high school era. So I missed second edition, right? D and D. And I never played Dark Sun, and I always wanted to play Dark Sun. And I made friends with, about 15 years ago, I made friends with some guys up in Montreal through the internet, you know, gamer friends. And I would go up there once or twice a year, and we'd have house cons. Like, we'd, we'd, you know, uh, one of my friends had a house that had, like, six rooms, and we'd actually structure out the day where we'd have different slots, and people would run games, and, you know, it was like a whole, it was like a mini convention. And he ported over Dark Sun second edition D&D to Savage Worlds. So we ran Dark Sun Savage Worlds for three years straight and it was a it was a trilogy of stories and it was really one of the best role-playing games I've ever been in. No, I loved it. I think Savage Worlds was a much better fit for Dark Sun than D&D ever was. You know, we had a, I remember we had one character who was a one-armed elf diplomat (laughs) and that worked in Savage Worlds. It would not work in D&D, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's just, I, came, I came to savage worlds very similarly i came to savage worlds through eberron okay um, there, sure, there, yeah. was just, there was a discussion about how eberron plays much better using savage worlds than it ever did with three five and so mm-hmm. i thought well, hey i want to i want to see that i had never played eberron but i was vaguely familiar with the territory and and so if somebody's saying well it plays better over here well let me play it and yeah. um and that was how that was i never i still haven't played it <laughs> but it was introduction to hey there's this game savage worlds and and so it was all downhill from there um you know i i was writing some stuff and i became a licensee and so that that's yeah. been that's been a lot of fun Sa- savage but- worlds is a great system i i ran a um, i ran a game called sentin mortui which is about a disgraced roman legion um who had been uh, decimated and stoned and left by the wayside, and then became like a black ops, you know, unit for the for the Roman Legion. And I ran okay. it with Savage Worlds, and I and I loved it so much that like you know that's an ongoing game for me, and it's the only game I still play in Savage Worlds. But I you know anytime I play it, I go back to Savage Worlds. So good, it's a good game. It's, it's a fun game. Very cool. Have you uh, integrated any of the uh, World War Rome? To uh... I haven't. That came out after I started doing this, but I, I, I have the books and one of these days I'm going to get around to like retooling it for that. Yeah. That'd be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. So back to the original thing is I, I was running this game, um, both at that crit hit and the Phoenix comic con and, um, and the concept behind the game was we were pulling out all the stops. I mean, we had like as much theatrics as we could possibly do in a mobile venue. And, um, one of the things we had was was lighting. We had these little LEDs that were remote controlled. You could change the colors and stuff. And when you were talking about this idea of of color and using description of color, I, I was actually thinking that you know I could use lighting in a room to enhance game based on color. And so I mean there's a lot of room for play in all of that. There really is. And I think, I guess I, you know, if we're going to put a bow on this, it's don't put limits around yourself as a DM, right? Like learn from, learn from every source you can learn from, 
learn from your kids who want to play something different every week. Learn from different media that you're experiencing. Learn from convention games that you attend. You know, stay flexible, right? Stay loose and just enjoy playing with your friends and not get so focused on, I want to play this game at this time with these people, et cetera. Absolutely. And simpler, simpler is better. Yeah, simpler. Well, right. Yeah, simpler is better because it keeps you fast and loose. And yeah, I agree. Absolutely. Well, very cool, Ray. I'm so glad we had this opportunity and uh, hopefully we can do this again. We have been talking for, man, probably 45 minutes. That is definitely no, really? not, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely not a podcast. I mean, yeah, it's been, we've There's been no talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, All right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's going to go, you know, it will go out as is and people will have to deal with yeah. it. <laughs> I agree. It's it's Wednesday afternoon, you know, it's hump day. I'm worn out, been a stressful first half of the week of work and you know, like oh. I I'm all good with it. Like let it be what it is. Awesome. We are who we are. Well, I'm looking forward to the next Plundergrounds after you publish this one. And um and I've got some stuff in the hopper as well. You know, I, I've got to get back to sort of my plans for what I'm gonna do about five E, which I may end up doing nothing with. But then I also I also have a response to something Tim was talking about uh, on his last anchor cast, and I can't remember what it was, but I remember that I have a response for it. I'll have to go back and look at my notes. 